Welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. Riverside Church is a community of believers striving side-by-side for the gospel in the greater New Orleans area. For more information about Riverside Church, go to riversidelife.org. we continue our series, our Advent series called The I Am in the Manger. And what we're doing is going through several of the I Am statements in the Gospel of John. There's seven of them. I think we'll end up touching on most of them, but today we're, we're talking about I Am the Bread of Life. And you can find that John chapter 6. It, it takes the whole chapter for John to unfold this for us. It's a very long chapter, probably one of the longest chapters in the Bible, certainly the longest chapter in John. It's some 71 verses long, and we will be talking about I am, as Jesus says, the bread of life. As I said a couple of weeks ago when I was with you, I kind of gave this, this question to you or this statement to you, what if, what if we came out of this Christmas season revived and refreshed instead of weary and exhausted? I tend to believe that that's the reason we celebrate Christmas, and certainly a lot of that's been stripped from us. We get so busy with all the things to do, all the presents to buy, all the things that we have to do during this Christmas season, that often we leave leave the season coming to the new year slap, worn out, and exhausted. But what if by celebrating this season, celebrating this Advent, celebrating the first coming of Christ, what if we came out of this season revived? reminded of who God is, that the I Am came for us, the eternal Son took on flesh and dwelled among us, became like us in every way yet without sin, so that we might have peace with God. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, what if we saw that more clearly through this season by going through these I Am statements, that we came through this season not weary and exhausted, but revived and refreshed. That's what I'm praying for this series. That's what I'm praying for you. I'm praying that's what we'll experience as we go through this season and into the new year. The question that we see in John chapter 6 is where do we find the bread? Where to get bread? We see it in John chapter 6, verse 5. Go ahead and take a look there. John chapter 6, lifting up his eyes and seeing the large crowd coming towards him, Jesus said, Philip, where are we to buy bread? And that's the question I want us to think about this morning. Where is the bread? It's a question of where do we find provision? And we will see as John works through this entire chapter, it's more than just a question of where we find provision. It's a question of where we find sustenance, where we find nourishment, where we find meaning, where we find hope, where we find fulfillment, and where we find life. Because remember, this is the very purpose of John. John tells us, the reason I'm writing this, so that you may believe in Jesus, and in believing him, have life in his name. We see that in John chapter 1 in the prologue, in Jesus was life, and in him was the light of man. And so that's, that's what John is getting after in John chapter, where do we find bread? Where do we find life? Where do we find sustenance? Where do we find provision? One poet beautifully said it like this, where do we get bread? An ever-pressing question that trembles on the lips of anxious mus- Bread for families, bread for others, a whole world on the margin of exhaustion, and where that hunger has been satisfied. Where to get bread, the question still returns. In our abundance, something starves and yearns. We crave fulfillment, crave and are denied, and then come one who speaks into our needs, who opens out the secret hopes we cherish, whose presence calls our hidden hearts to flourish 
whose words unfold in us like living seeds. Come to me, broken, hungry, and incomplete. I am the bread of life. Break me and eat. It takes 71 verses for John to unfold this, but that's what he's going to say. Where do we get the bread? Let's go ahead and look at John chapter 15. The first thing I want you to away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on a mountain there. He sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, let's go ahead and read verse 4. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. The first thing that I want you to see at the beginning of John chapter 6 is simply this, that the crowds are following Jesus. This is the fourth sign in the gospel of John that Jesus has performed. He has performed the miracle of turning water into wine at the wedding. He's healed two folks, and they're beginning to see there's something special about this man. And so the great crowds are pressing in to see what he might do next. They saw many signs and wondering what the next sign will be. Remember what Jesus is coming out of here. Look up in verse 5. It says, after this, after what? As they're following Jesus, and here's what he says. Do not think, look at verse, chapter 5, verse 45. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for of me he wrote. But if you do not believe Moses' writings, how will you believe my word? So, so here's what I want you to understand, what I want you to start to see, what I want you to start to understand, that after this, after this conversation that Jesus is having with these religious folks, where they say, we follow Moses, and Jesus is getting across to them, if you were to follow Moses, you, were to, you would follow me. Because all the scripture is about Christ. And if you were to truly understand what Moses is saying, then you would follow me. So, so understand what's going on here. These crowds are following. They have questions about, as we're beginning to see that Jesus is, seems like he's proclaiming that he's greater than Moses. He seems like he's proclaiming that these religious folks that are following Moses need to follow him, that what Moses wrote about was truly about Christ. And so in light of all this, they want to see the next sign. They, they want to see what else he has to say about who Moses is, that he is the better Moses. And so they have a lot of questions of who Jesus is claiming to be. Now, let me stop here a moment, just give an aside. They're seeing all the signs. Let's stop here a moment because I've heard people say, even the last couple weeks, that if Jesus were to come here and physically do all the miracles that he did in the, what we see in the New Testament, then they would believe. That's not true. We see it right here. They're seeing the miracles. They're seeing what he's proclaiming, and they still refuse to believe. These miracles are not some kind of dog and pony show where he's trying to impress us so that we might believe in him. He's telling us who he is. And if you don't believe in who he is, you will not follow him no matter how many miracles you might see. And so they have a lot of questions. What is he saying about Moses? And so John gives us this clue in John chapter 6 verse 4. We read it a second ago. Now the Passover... Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. As Aaron pointed out last week, that, that John is very good about connecting the work of Christ and connecting the identity of Christ with the feast of the Jews. 
And here's another example that John is cluing us in. Jesus is saying something about his identity through this miracle. Because it's during the Passover. In their minds, what do they have in mind during the Passover? They're thinking about Moses. They're thinking about the deliverance of the one who led them out of Egypt. They're they're, they're thinking of the one who called down the the manna from heaven and prayed and, and God provided manna and bread in the wilderness. So they have all of this in their mind of who Moses was. And yes, Jesus will fulfill the Passover later on. Remember in the Lord's Supper when he desired to take the Passover meal, which we'll celebrate here in a moment, a Passover meal with his disciples. But that's not what he's talking about. The Lord's Supper is not in mind at this point. That's crucial for us to understand. What's at mind is this feast that's going on in Jerusalem, that the people are are all jacked up. They're kind of celebrating as we would the 4th of July. They're remembering their past hero, their past leader, their spiritual leader, Moses, their leader, Moses, the one who led them out. They have all that in mind. And he's been talking to them about Moses and the Passover was at hand. And so Jesus is proclaiming to them. He's going to proclaim something, something key throughout chapter 6, that Jesus is the better Moses. That what they are looking for, what Moses was not and Moses could not do, they are going to find ultimate provision and ultimate salvation, ultimate freedom in Jesus Christ. They even have questions in the middle of this. Go ahead and let's fast forward a little bit to John chapter 6, verse 30. So this is after the feeding of the 5,000. We're going to get to the feeding of the 5,000 just in a second. But I want you to kind of see this thread. So they said to him, John chapter 6, verse 30, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread to eat. And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. All that to say, what's in the mind of the people? Passover, Moses, who is this one that's healing the sick? Who is this one who is claiming to be God? Who and should we follow him? Where do we get bread? The feeding of the 5,000. Look at verse 5. So that's what's context, what's going on here. Lifting up his eyes and then seeing the large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little, eight months wages. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? And Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. And Jesus took the loaves, and he had given thanks. He distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish as much as they wanted And when they had eaten their fill, he told the disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, filled 12 baskets with fragments from barley barley loaves left by those who had eaten. And when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. 
Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. And so what Jesus is setting the stage here for, in this statement where he will go on to say at the end of John chapter 6, that I am the bread of life, what the feeding of the 5,000 is doing is setting the stage for who Jesus is. He's setting the stage for the question of where will we get bread? And perhaps we can identify with Philip, right? We can't afford this. This provision that we are called to fulfill, this is beyond something that we can buy. Even 200 denarii, eight months worth away. There's no way we can afford this. We are absolutely helpless to feed all of these people. And even Andrew, he identifies that, yes, we have five loaves and two fish, but that is not enough. What we have is meager and measly, and this meal will not be enough for all these people. And this is a great reminder of the God that we serve, right? This is a great reminder that there is no problem too big, no death, disease, war, nothing that's too big for our God to take care of. Yes, we look at situations and we say that we can't afford this. We look at situations that we don't have enough. And Jesus is proclaiming that I am enough. That I am the bread that comes down from heaven. This miracle in John chapter 6, the feeding of the 5,000, was for the disciples to see that they should never underestimate the power of Jesus to provide. But we will see that there's more than that. There's spiritual importance here. There's an identity of who Christ is. Yes, it causes us to break the providence of God, remembering that he always provides. But even more so, it makes us up and celebrates the provider, one who never leaves or forsakes us. And so his disciples, the one who realized that we can't afford this, and Jesus says, that's okay. Let me fast forward. I am the bread of life. We don't have enough. That's okay. I am the bread of life. So we behold that, we see the power of Christ, the power to provide, and the crowd saw that as well, didn't they? They knew he had power. Do you hear what happens at the end of this? They want to take him by force and make him king. Because remember, Passover was at hand. They were looking for that leader. They were looking for that king. They were looking for the one who would set him free from a frenzy was going on, stoking the people's hopes for someone to deliver them from the yoke of Roman tyranny. And the perfect political candidate appeared on the scene. That which wins political votes everywhere. A chicken in every pot, a loaf and fish in every lunch. He had everything they wanted. I, when I was thinking about this, this this week, I was thinking about Huey Long. Remember his old kid, you might probably weren't allowed, alive for this. His old campaign song, Every Man a King. I was in eighth grade because we had to read T. Harry Williams, Huey P. Long, which is about this thick. Every man a king, every man a king, you can be a millionaire. He's selling this hope that he will come and provide everything physically that you need. And so these folks understand the power that they are beholding, and they are saying this is the perfect political candidate, but just quickly goes away because that's not what he came to do. His mission was not a political mission. His pot, or to make every man a millionaire. That's not what he was after. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came and in him was life and the light of men. John is writing so that we might believe and have life in his name, which even better than bread 
on our table. He has come to give them life. What he is saying is they don't need the bread and fish. What they need is Christ himself. So he is setting us up for that. In John chapter 6, in the feeding of the 5,000, he is the better Moses. And Jen, John records, look at verse 16. Do you ever remember a time we have Moses in mind? We have the Passover in mind. Do you remember what happened after the Passover? They left Egypt and they crossed water on dry land. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, started across the sea to Capernaum. Now it was dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a wind, a strong wind was blowing. Verse 19. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus, who was not in the boat, remember. They saw Jesus walking on the sea, coming near the boat, and they were right. So, so, so you get this, right? Moses walked across the Red Sea on dry land. Jesus, the true and better Moses, who multiplies loaves and fishes and brings down this bread of heaven in order to give this provision for the, those who are hungry, who are gathered that day, they, they, to, to hear him teach and to follow. Remember this? Now we see that not only is Jesus the true and better Moses by the way that he provides, we see that he's a true and better Moses because he's not just walking across the sea on dry land that God miraculously spit, split. He is walking on water itself as if it were land. That's the true and better Moses walking across the sea. And so he's showing his disciples, he's showing you and I, those who are hearing these words this morning, that yes, he is the one. He's the one you've waited for to set you free. He is the I am. And he says as much. They were frightened, not so much as the sea, but they have this holy terror come upon them. And Jesus says, do not be afraid. And do you see what he says again right before that? I am. Do not be afraid. The Passover is at hand. People are being fed miraculously from heaven. Jesus is walking on water as if it is dry land. He is proclaiming to his disciples, I am. He's setting us up for something. He's driving a bigger point home. I am. Do not be afraid. What a day, huh? Miraculous feeding, walking on water. On the next day, verse 22, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near to the place where Jesus had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. And so when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. So they're still seeking him out. They're seeing these signs. They're seeing what he's proclaiming. They want to see what else he has to say. Do we need to follow him or kill him? And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Jesus is seeing their hearts. He's saying, you're not after me because you want to follow me and be satisfied. You're after me because you saw the miracles. And just if you just see the miracles as such as just get this physical need met, then you're truly not following me. You had your fill of loaves. You had your belly filled. But you're not believing. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life 
which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God has set his seal. He said, I am the one. I am. God has set his seal on me. I am the one who will set captives free. I am the one who will satisfy. Yes, I am the one you are looking for. All the hopes that you see in Passover, all the hopes that you had in Moses, I am the true and better Moses. I am. That's what he's saying more or less in his words. And then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. So Jesus calls them out and says, your problem is not that you see. The problem is not that you are curious. Your problem is that you do not believe. That you have not put your trust, your faith, your life in everything that you have in me. Your problem is that you're working for the food that perishes, that doesn't last, that doesn't satisfy. C.S. Lewis said it's something like this, that he has found no cup of tea or book long enough to satisfy him. Even the greatest things that we enjoy in this world are not long enough to satisfy They all end up letting us down some way, shape, or form at some time. But Jesus is saying, yes, that is the food that perishes. The the true food is to believe in the one whom God has sent. Do you believe? Where will you find bread? Jesus, this is where you find bread in me. Do you believe? They go all in. So they said to him, then what sign do you do? I just stopped there. Are you kidding me? (laughs) What sign do you do? They're expecting more. They've seen, they're still expecting more. If you're the true and better Moses, yes, God fed them for 40 some years. What else are you going to do, Jesus? What sign have we seen? Well, we've seen a lot that we might see and believe you. What work do you perform? It's a bold question. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said, it's like, did did that, what happened the day before? He fed them from heaven. Then Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses. Jesus is cutting to the chase. Moses is brought back into the picture. It's Passover, remember. They're asking about Moses in chapter 5. Who gave you the bread from heaven. But my father gives you the true bread of heaven. So you see, my father, he's my God. It's my father. He set his seal on me. I am the one. For the bread of God is he, not a physical, it's he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. They're still thinking physically. And Jesus says the bread is a person. This bread that you saw in the feeding of 5,000 is meant to point you to that bread hum. And goes on to say in verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. I'm what you're looking for. To all the hungry, to all of those who are looking for satisfaction and can't find it, to all of those living in the abundance of the American dream and still can't find that satisfaction, he says, I am the one who will satisfy the one who has nothing and wondering if they will ever be satisfied, Jesus says, come to me and believe and you will be satisfied. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So the crowd goes all in and they're asking what sign. And Jesus comes back and says to them that I am the true manna that came down from heaven. 
that I am the one that you were looking for, just as you saw in the wilderness. That for my people who were hungry and had a need, for my people who wondered where the bread would come from, where the sustenance would come from, to my people who I had brought through the Red Sea and I delivered them, they wondered how they would make it in the wilderness so long I provided. To my people who wondered at times, do I love them? And wouldn't it be better if we went back to Egypt? To my people who have a need, to my people whom I love, Jesus says, I gave manna in the wilderness, and now the true and better bread has come. To my people who have need of a Savior. To my people who have no hope without Christ. To my people who are stuck in their sins and wondering, where will our salvation come from? When will we be set free once and for all? To my people who wonder if I love them and if I will ever come and make things right, Jesus says, I am the bread. I love how one author says this. He says, God sent the true bread, but it didn't appear on the ground first thing in the morning. It appeared in a manger late at night. The bread was a person, Jesus Christ, sent by God to meet man's spiritual hunger. Jesus again says in John 6, 48, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. And this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for life of the world is my flesh. And so this begins to raise questions. Remember, there are connections to the Lord's Supper here, but he's not talking about the Lord's Supper here. He's talking about Jesus is the true bread because it brings questions, right? The religious have questions. This guy is crazy. He's saying, I am the bread to eat me, eat my flesh, drink my blood. This is a very hard saying. Look what it says in verse 52. The Jews disputed among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So we're not talking about transubstantiation here of the bread becoming his flesh. This is not what this text is speaking of. What this text is speaking of is believing. What is he, and they're still thinking physically. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of God and drink his blood, you have no life in you. What does Jesus say earlier in this? I am the living bread. Whoever believes in me will have eternal life. And now he says, whoever eats of my flesh and drinks of my blood will have eternal life. And so if we read the whole passage, we put this together that what Jesus is saying to eat of Christ, to drink of Christ is not a physical act, but it is to believe, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will have life in his name. Believing is staking your life on the fact that the only way to live is to receive him. The only way to life is to take the bread of life that he so freely gives. It's placing all your hope on him to sustain you. It's a deep sense that you will die without him. It's placing your confidence in him as the only one who can give you life and strength and a future. And the best part of eating the bread of life is there's no bill. It's all by grace. It's all by grace. Do you see what Jesus says in verse 63? It is the Spirit 
who gives life. Jesus says in verse 44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. This is all the free grace of God. He drew us. He gave us a hunger. He gave us a thirst that only he could satisfy. And then he provides the provision for us. It's all grace. I love how Martin Luther, it says that his last words were, we are beggars, it is true. Come to me. I am the bread of life. Many of his disciples heard it, verse 60. This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? It's a hard saying that by grace you can be saved because you want to contribute some way, shape, or form. It's hard to say you must believe. You must give your life. You must give your everything. It's a hard saying. They know that there's no middle ground when it comes to believing on Jesus and to receiving the bread of life. We know thickly when you eat, you internalize the food. Thinking about eating is not the same thing as eating, amen? You're thinking about it right now. It's not the same. The hunger is still there. Knowing nutritional facts is not the same thing as eating. Understanding how food is processed by the body is not the same thing as eating. You just know a whole lot about food. They know a whole lot about their Bibles. And Jesus even says that in chapter 5. You know the scriptures, but you don't know me. And all the all these scriptures about me. That's what Moses wrote about. I am the bread. I am the one that I, was, that I was, was preparing the way for. So it goes with believing. To believe is to internalize the truth about Jesus. To receive him into your soul. To admit that you're a sinner. To confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And to give your life completely and wholly to him. Thinking about Jesus is not the same thing as believing. Knowing facts about Jesus is not the same thing as believing. Understanding how Jesus saves a person is not the same as believing. Sadly, the crowd predominantly, the Bible says, verse 66, no longer walked with him. They made excuses. It was too hard to believe. They grumbled about what Jesus said. He's talking about physically eating his flesh. No, he's not. He's talking about believing. Just as the Israelites of old grumbled about the manna in the wilderness. Remember that? God provided and they grumbled about it. And they said, this, this food stinks. We'd rather be back in Egypt. So Israel in John chapter 6. True bread is here. We don't want it. Believing on Jesus is hard. Believing demands relinquishing all other means of salvation. It means saying, I cannot do it on my own. I cannot make it on my own. I will die apart from Jesus. I am helpless. I am hopeless. Jesus, save me. Jesus, Jesus, give me life. And who understands this? Where else can I go? For you have the word of eternal life. Is that where you are this morning? Are we going to come to the table in the moment and we take the bread and the cup, not the physical body of Jesus, but we take it in faith, we take it in believing, reminding ourselves of what Christ has done for us. We think, where else can I go? For he has the words of eternal life. 
Where else can I go for salvation? There is no other name by which I can be saved. Where else can I go? For I know that I'm a sinner, unable to save myself. We see in the feeding of the 5,000 that when you follow Jesus, you never reach a dead end. Even with a meager lunch and no money, if you have Jesus, there's always a way that he will provide for you. No wine at the wedding, no problem for Jesus. No bread in the desert, no problem for Jesus. A sinner caught in deep darkness, that's no problem for Jesus. Because even dark is as light to him. No life in the tomb, no problem for Jesus. We celebrate his death till he comes. Sinners needing a savior, that's no problem for Jesus. And none of us will. So we come to the table. We come to Christ by faith, by believing, broken, hungry, incomplete. And we hear Jesus say, I am the bread of life. And we say, where else can we go? Let's pray.